0: Hello, my name's Maggie Taggart. I'm a broadcast journalist and I was BBC Northern Ireland's education correspondent for 20 years. Now I've linked up with the Equality Commission for a series of podcasts on tackling educational inequalities. We'll be looking at the problems and also the innovative ideas to deal with them. Today I'm talking to Rachel Hogan. She works with the Children's Law Centre's legal team and has a special interest in special needs and disability discrimination. Rachel, tell me first of all, what is the Law Centre's role in helping parents and pupils with problems when it comes to education?
1: Well, the Children's Law Centre is an independent charity founded upon key children's rights principles based on the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. The Children's Law Centre aims to ensure that all children can reach their full potential, particularly in the realm of education via legal rights compliance. Most of our work is based upon the principle of non-discrimination so children should have equal rights regardless of their status or characteristics such as special needs or disabilities and their best interest should really be the primary consideration in any actions that are taken or decisions that are being made and most importantly that children even those who have most difficulties in society have a voice and can be heard and can participate in decisions that are made. Um, so we use the law to access critical services based on those three key principles.
0: When we're talking about special needs and disability discrimination, tell me how those factors can affect young people's attainment in reaching their full potential in education and therefore, you know, affecting their future?
1: Yes, children with special educational needs can find it more difficult than those who don't have special needs to access the curriculum. And sometimes those children need some special support. So it could be classroom assistance, it could be therapeutic input, it could be uh, one-to-one time with the teacher or the production of special materials to enable that child to access the curriculum on an equal basis with peers who doesn't have disabilities.
0: In your experience, how much are they affected by having those special needs or or the the disability they have? How does it affect what, what they do in exams or how they study?
1: Well, when we consider children with disabilities, what we really need to look at is how they attain in their own particular individual way and what support they require to reach their full potential. So it's not so much looking at the disability, but looking at the barriers to access created within our education system, which stops those children from accessing education. So if we take a simple example, if a child had a visual impairment, we might need that child to be given a bigger font so that they can read the material just in the same way as a peer who doesn't have a visual impairment. So very often it's simple steps, removing barriers, listening to the child to see what they actually need, listening to their parents and any professional advice, and putting all of that into place. And once the special help is put into place for those children, there's no reason at all why they can't achieve at the best of their potential, just as their peers with no disabilities can do.
0: But how often does that happen? Because those hurdles may be insurmountable to a lot of them, or even if they're not completely insurmountable, they might just be the factor that stops them getting the top grades.
1: Essentially there's a very robust legal system there in place to serve children with special educational needs and disabilities and it um, acknowledges that those children have particular vulnerabilities and particular needs and puts in place um, provisions for assessment of need, identification of need and provision to supply that child with the help they require. So in the Children's Law Centre's view that's a very robust legal system of rights and if a child isn't accessing what they need to meet their educational needs, then it's potentially legal non-compliance and there are remedies for that. So the Children's Law Centre offers free legal advice and representation in some cases when they're strategic, uh, both at tribunal level and potentially in the High Court, and to enforce the legal system that is there um, to serve those children and young people with special needs and disabilities.
0: So there is the opportunity for redress, but... We often hear of parents complaining that they have to fight a battle all the time.
1: Parents often use the words to us, I'm fighting a battle, I've been fighting every day, I'm exhausted, having to make phone call after phone call and write letter after letter, attending meetings and sometimes feeling, you know, I'm not being heard. By the time parents get to the Children's Law Centre they're very often distraught, will often have tears down the phone, they're just exhausted trying to find the help. And that's when we can really um, take them through the legal steps. The legal framework is there to serve those children. It has been put in place because it is known that those needs have to be met. And it's really a step-by-step process. We know how to operate that process, but the amount of bureaucracy that has sprung up around it has meant that it's become very difficult for parents to navigate. So part of what the Children's Law Centre do is explain the legal rights and then set out a step-by-step approach to solving the problem.
0: Can you maybe tell me of some of the uh, experiences you've had with helping parents and the outcomes that they had?
1: I would say about 66% of our work this past year so far has been related to education and the vast bulk of that is special educational needs. So our legal advisors, uh, including myself, will give specialist advice in relation to special educational needs. So if a parent was to come to us and say, for example, I've suspected since about primary two that my child might have dyslexia or some other special educational need, but I can't get anyone to do anything about it. We would gather up the evidence from that parent and from any other sources and look to see whether the child meets the legal threshold to receive special educational provision we might help the parent to apply for statutory assessment of that child and then if that's refused there are appeal rights attached so we can use the appeal rights to access the services Uh, and we often find that decisions that have been made by public authorities haven't been evidence-based and therefore it's it's very easy for us to challenge uh, a poor decision like that that hasn't been based on evidence and we can support that parent either to represent themselves in relation to a complaint or issue or in some uh, complex strategic cases we would provide free representation
0: have you any examples of how that's turned around someone's life?
1: Well, yes, well, I can think of one of my clients who has uh, done very well, who would be quite a complex young person, who would have um, a quite a high intelligence level, but a very complex range of special educational needs and required a, a particular package of support to be put in place and maintained. I assisted that young person to attend meetings and speak up for himself over a, a course of a number of years. And I'm very pleased to report that he's now away to Cambridge to study law. So with the right support in place, he has been able to reach his dream and really achieve his full potential, and he has much more potential to achieve yet. Uh, Just to give you another example, um, I had worked over the years with a young girl named Carla, who allows me to speak about her case and use her name. And Carla has cerebral palsy. And from the time that she was 11 or 12, she came to the Children's Law Centre and we would have worked with her all the way up to her 18th birthday um, because we deal with children under the age of 18. And she was having difficulty in school because she couldn't get physiotherapy in a mainstream school and she was in a lot of pain and discomfort and was unable to meet her potential. And again, very high potential academically for that child. So with a bit of support from us and bringing Carla along to speak for herself in tribunal proceedings, we were able to get her the support she needed in education. And again, she has gone off to university to complete her studies there, and I have no doubt she'll do extremely well. Um, For children who aren't um, of high ability academically, there are still life skills and many other attributes and um, aptitudes that they have that need to be developed. And if the right help isn't put in place for those children, they're going to be limited in their capacity to make progress in their life to the best of their ability so they can be happy and have a fulfilled life and go into the workplace or function well in society generally so regardless of ability or aptitude every child who has special needs or disabilities should receive the help they're entitled to and the children's law centre will be very strong on that and advocating on behalf of young people with special needs and disabilities
0: can we talk about covid <laughs> yes um, as if people didn't have enough problems uh, getting their children into school uh, the fact of them maybe sitting at home trying to be educated and not getting into school uh, because of COVID and trying to get lessons done at home and computers. Tell me what problems, sh- in your experience, they've faced.
1: The Children's Law Centre has had such an incredibly busy year and a half uh, during the COVID pandemic to date. And I can tell you the work isn't over yet as we face a further wave of COVID now, potentially in January. Families have come to us in absolute abject desperation and fear and trauma from what they've suffered at home through the lack of access to education. Education is widely acknowledged to have a protective factor and in fact it's a primary protective factor for children who are particularly routine bound, for example, such as children with severe learning difficulties and autism. We have found that children with learning disabilities in particular have suffered the brunt of the COVID pandemic and in particular the restrictions that have been placed uh, on their daily functioning, both in education and outside education. We've had children actually losing school and losing respite, losing health and social care services, the ability to go out and about to their day centres and day activities. So when you take, for example, a child who hits out or lashes out when their um, routine is disrupted, a child could be 16 or 17 years of age and and fully grown adult sized. Um, And what we found during the pandemic was that parents were left alone at home without any specialist support, with children who would normally be in a special school with a whole package of special needs provision, therapeutic input, behaviour support, and medical support, nursing support, were left at home at the beginning of the pandemic and their respite was also cut off. So those families would have had a high assessed need and quite large packages in place, which just ceased immediately. And some of those children actually ended up being chemically restrained and given the likes of diazepam and so on in an effort to keep them safe in the home and because they were not safe in the home, people were being physically harmed, mentally harmed, and this was going on and on and on for a prolonged period. Now the Children's Law Centre did intervene with legal action um, in relation to four education cases, three of which are still currently before the High Court at the moment. Um, And we we were able to find some solutions um, in working with the various departments like the Department of Education and Department of Health through issuing legal action and through attending education and health committees to really push forward the point, this is happening, these people are in desperate trouble. And that's continuing today because we're seeing at the minute respite facilities being closed down and that's because children who have nowhere to live who are very vulnerable are being placed in the respite facilities and that then cuts off short breaks for other families who would have accessed that support. And We've had one successful legal action in relation to respite um, and provision being taken away without any fresh assessment being carried out but the problem continues and we have further cases filed. In relation to education, we, we did eventually get some contingency planning very much behind the curve and very reactive um, and in the absence of consultation and collection of appropriate data. The people who hold the data are the affected parties, such as parents and carers and young people themselves. And by failing to consult parents and carers, children and young people, school leaders, health professionals and specialist providers of people support services, the government departments took forward policies that were actually very damaging to those children and young people. And we're still reaping the, the consequences of that at the moment.
0: In your opinion, Given this time of COVID and the problems people have had is there any way those young people can get back to the level they should have attained if it hadn't been for COVID?
1: One of the things that we need to really think carefully about is what has gone wrong and how can we put it right? Uh, in relation to the pandemic. Now, one of the solutions in the Children's Law Centre's view is proper implementation and proper legal compliance with Section 75 of the Northern Ireland Act. Section 75 is a statutory equality duty and it provides for protected groups such as those with disabilities or people on the ground of their age, being young or being older, race, nationality, religion and so on, so there are a number of protected groups but special educational needs and disability would fall within that protection. When policies are being designed there is a legal duty on departments to collect appropriate data on which to base their decisions and to do that by consulting with directly affected parties. Now non-compliance with those statutory equality duties for years up to the pandemic has created inequality in our society. That has really been highlighted more during the pandemic, the level of that inequality between those who have support and help and can function normally day to day, and those who don't have support and help and are are feeling abandoned and neglected at this very moment, as we sit here speaking. So proper implementation and uh, compliance with Section 75 is important in the design of policies. So the government needs to look and see What are the impacts of what we're actually doing in the education system? How do we redress or mitigate the harmful impacts of those policies that have restricted access to education, healthcare, respite, mental health support? What do we need to put in? Where do the resources need to go? That can be done through proper quality impact assessment. And some of the legal actions we are taking are alleging that government departments have failed on that front. So I think going forward, it's very, very important to take a lessons learned approach take case studies listen to what people have said listen to their lived experience and look through what could we have done better in terms of equality Uh, because I think you know it's been it's been scandalous the inequalities between different sections of our communities which have really led to human rights abuses in my opinion.
0: Given those equalities what do you think is needed to give families the support they need?
1: One of the things that's needed to give families support at the moment is joined up working between government departments. We have in Northern Ireland a piece of legislation called the Children's Services Cooperation Act of 2015. In that there's a duty in Section 2 for government departments to cooperate with one another and with other uh, children's services providers and children's authorities to promote the wellbeing of children and young people. Now, one thing that's become very apparent during the COVID pandemic is that there are not sufficient systems in place to promote joint working. We have silo working, we have little small attempts at joint working and cooperative um, meetings and joint meetings and things like that. But we don't have appropriate systems and processes in place to enable, for example, joint children's services planning, joint budgeting for children's services, pooling of budgets, pooling of people, resources, buildings and uh, we really need creative thinking lateral thinking and full use of that legislation and the second thing that needs to be done is that government departments need to pay full attention to their statutory equality duties and we would like to see the equality commission coming in very strongly on that and enforcing those equality duties.
0: So much work to be done on this Rachel Hogan thank you very much indeed for coming in from the Children's Law Centre to talk to us. Thank you. If you are interested in the topics we have been discussing, this is one of a series of podcasts from the Equality Commission dealing with educational inequalities. You can find them all on the Equality Commission website.